Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. In our current series on Ruth, we begin to unpack the story of the three women who are at the heart of this book with Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld. So let's turn to Ruth chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, as we listen to a message called Counting the Cost of Finding God. Listen to Jesus. Matthew 7, 14 records him saying, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. One of the most popular books in all Christian history is Pilgrim's Progress, in which the pathway to the celestial city is described as hard, filled with adventure, and fraught with peril, dangers, that can interrupt and waylay one's journey toward God. And today, as we continue our study in the book of Ruth, we will see that John Bunyan's picture of the pathway to God is indeed as he describes it. Jesus said that one should count the cost before one begins the journey. And that's important to hear because we might be tempted to think that's only hard if you live in a country that persecutes believers or if you come from a family that discourages faith. But at the beginning of the book of Ruth, we will see three women coming to terms with the cost of discipleship and each one of them approaching it in a different way. Let's begin by reading Ruth chapter 1 verses 1 to 5. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Yesterday, we introduced the story of Ruth. We painted a picture of the background drama that set the stage for this story, and today we'll begin to tell the actual story. A man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi and two sons journeyed from Bethlehem to Moab. Instead of staying there only long enough for the famine in Bethlehem to subside, they make Moab their home and desert their covenant faithfulness to the God of Israel. Instead of finding relief in Moab, Elimelech found death. In Amos 7, verse 17, the idea of dying in an unclean land was seen as a curse by God for unfaithfulness to God. The book of Ruth does not tell us why Elimelech died, but we should see that his death is a tragedy for all manner of reasons. Now, after the death of their father, the two young men marry local Moabite women. The text said, these took Moabite wives, which seems to indicate that it was not their mother, Naomi, that led the way in making that choice. The sons chose the Moabite wives. The father was dead, and their mother, Naomi, at least so it would seem, gave no leadership in these marriages. Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 to 4, speaks about the relationship Israel should have with the nations around them. It says, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. Now, intermarriage with pagan people was seen as an affront to God because these kinds of marriages would lead to one of two realities. The first would be that Israel would abandon their God, and the second would be that they would become syncretistic. You remember Deuteronomy 6, verses 13 and 14. It says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. 
Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. Now, you might remember that when Satan tempted Jesus while he was fasting those 40 days in the wilderness, encouraging Jesus to worship him, that Jesus actually quoted this very verse from Deuteronomy. But apparently, Mahlon and Chilion were not concerned with Deuteronomy 6 and 7 as Jesus was. They had already determined that Moab was their new home and new identity, and they simply married these two women, no doubt blended into the wider Moabite culture. And then two things happened that interrupted what would have been the natural flow of their lives. After 10 years, neither son had produced a child, and after 10 years, both of the sons of Naomi were dead. Now, we don't know how they died, but we know that they died. And then something remarkable happens that sets the stage for this extraordinary story. Naomi is left without any men in her life, and verse 6 opens the door to the drama that's to follow. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Now, the word return often gives the idea of repentance in the Bible. Now, we're never told if Naomi agreed with the idea of going to Moab in the first place, but the writer wants us to know that whatever is left of this family, the direction is now changed. We don't know how many connections Naomi had to Moabite culture, nor what resources she had, but whatever her situation was, she was going back to the land that God had promised to the children of Abraham. And in some ways, it's easy to compare the story at this point with Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. After having left his father's home and spending all he had on reckless living, decided to go home with nothing. He didn't know if his father would receive him or not, and determined even if he would be one of his father's slaves, he would be content with that. I think Naomi's story mirrors that in many ways. I think it's important here to stop for a moment. It may be that some who are listening to me can identify with the family of Naomi. Perhaps you were raised in a Christian home, and you've left whatever faith you once had, and you're wondering if you can go home again. Will I be received? Is there anyone in the Christian faith that will welcome me? Some time ago, a man I had prayed with to receive Christ had begun to visit prostitutes, which cost him his marriage and his standing among God's people. And when I saw him again, he looked like a shadow of his former self, a man so deeply broken and destroyed, I could could hardly look at him. But he came home. And perhaps you should listen to Jesus. When the prodigal came home, the father said, This my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You know, it's time to go home. And the father will receive you. Don't let your story be like that of Elimelech and his sons. Be like Naomi. Rise and return to the God you have abandoned. Well, let's go back to the story. Back to Naomi. You know, what's fascinating at this point is that the two daughters-in-law set out to accompany her. We're not told why, because as the story progresses, it becomes clear they didn't have to. Furthermore, as the story goes on, it becomes clear that what had developed between Naomi and these two Moabite women was a very rich, deep, and loving relationship. Furthermore, as we continue to read, Naomi understands the covenant of God. She understands the Mosaic law, and she is committed to the sovereignty of the God of Israel. 
for the first time, we begin to get a picture of a woman who may have been faithful to the God of Israel while living in Moab. And as we're going to see, she must have spoken to her two daughters-in-law about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and about the God of Israel. And whatever she said, it must have inspired these two women to go on this most courageous journey. Like Elimelech leaving Israel, these two women are leaving Moab. And as we will see, Ruth is a woman who is remarkably easy to understand, but her mother-in-law, Naomi, is a very complicated woman. On the one hand, she understands the law of Moses, even though she lives in the days of the judges, which was the dark ages in Israel's life, she knows the law regarding something called liverite marriage. And at the same time, she seems to disregard the law when it comes to the first commandment. That, if you'll remember, is the one that we are to have no other God before him. That's not to say that she worships another god. It's only to say that she is not uncomfortable in recommending the practice to someone else. Well, how so? Well, let's continue to read Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 to 15. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back. My daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Well, there's so much to think about in that passage, but several things jump right out of that page. First, Naomi, did we hear you correctly? Are you encouraging Ruth to go back to the religion of the Moabites and the cruelty of the god Chemosh? Well, when we come back, we're going to answer that question, and we're going to see Naomi for what she is, a complex woman who believes and yet has trouble believing at the same time. Dr. Neufeld's introduction has given us a great insight into not only the external situation of Naomi and her daughter-in-law's lives, but also some of their internal emotions, struggles, and doubts. Through the experience of Naomi, for example, I think it's possible for some of us to relate to what she was facing in her own faith journey. Like her, we're complicated people, and that affects all of our decisions. When we come back, we'll see more sides to the story as Naomi and Ruth set out on the path from Moab to return to their God. Don't forget we're offering Dr. Neufeld's series from the book of Revelation entitled From Creation to Creation free this month to our entire listening audience. This was a series that Dr. Neufeld recently shared at a conference in Alaska and one that will inspire every listener to approach Revelation with a new sense of hope and optimism. And it may be just a great study to launch off your small group this fall. 
as an added bonus. If you call today, we'll include Dr. Neufeld's breakdown of the entire book of Revelation. So make sure to call us today and ask for your From Creation to Creation for yourself or even for your church library. Call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Neufeld. When we read the book of Ruth, we are left to wonder what Naomi's part was in that fateful decision to leave Israel and live in Moab. The Bible, of course, doesn't answer the question, but it does leave us with a clear picture of a woman who is both faithful and fearful, who does what's right and also does what's wrong. It's not until the end of the story that we will see her transformation. Until now, let's treat her as a woman like many today, complicated and struggling between faith and doubt. Perhaps you see yourself in her. Her story perhaps is your story. You know about following Christ. You know about his call to come and believe. And you know that God is both the all-powerful ruler, but you also know that he's loving. But when you face your moments of crisis, you simply can't put these truths together into your everyday experience. Instead of faith, you panic. And instead of confidence, you fear the worst. And if that's you, please keep listening to this amazing story. I notice that when Naomi hears the famine is over, for remember, she's a woman who believes in the sovereignty of God. When she hears that the famine is over in Bethlehem, she assumes that God has visited Bethlehem and that God has visited his people. And she so wants to live under the provision of God. And so she makes provision to move back. And interestingly enough, her two daughters-in-law move with her. That's a testimony to Naomi. Naomi has planted something of her faith in the two women, and the two young women want to be with her. What a great testimony. Remember, this story of Ruth is not only the story of her journey to God, it's our story as well. The journey begins with a call of God, and Naomi becomes conscious of God's grace in calling her back. We note that all journeys to God begin as we become conscious of God's grace. And here's where Ruth comes in. For Ruth... She, along with Naomi, heard that God was visiting his people, and she was interested in experiencing what this visitation was like firsthand. And that is, in my understanding, what motivates people to seek God. God's kindness leads us to him. We become conscious that God is gracious. And so also, we know that we must set out towards God. We do well to observe that whereas both Ruth and Orpah set out towards God, Orpah turned back. Simply setting out toward God doesn't assure our safe arrival. Sometimes we're tempted to think that the person who is moving to God has arrived, but I know so many cases where the journey is begun and it ends. It's aborted, and I'm going to come back to that. Now, as we come to verse 8, we find that the person who really didn't want the women to go to Israel is the very complicated woman, Naomi. And I don't know at what point in the journey from Moab to Bethlehem this conversation began, but sometime along the way, Naomi started having very serious doubts about this journey. And finally, she settles it. Under no circumstances will she allow these women to follow her. So she gives a double command, go, return. But, and this is fascinating, in commanding this, she contradicts herself. Notice what she wants. In verse 8, she wants the Lord, that is Yahweh, the God of Israel, to bless these two women. She says, may the God of Israel, our text says, deal kindly. The Hebrew says, deal in chesed. 
You know, the Hebrew word chesed is so important in the Old Testament because it speaks of God's love, but not just love, but the love of God which is found in his covenant. That is, when God binds himself to his people in a holy, unbreakable agreement, this is called the chesed of God. Now, in the New Testament, this is the love of God which is expressed in the cross, in which God binds himself to forgive his elect people and make them his very own. In other words, Naomi wished for these two young women that they would walk in covenant love with the God of Israel, be forgiven, in our words, be saved. And I'm sure that's exactly what she wanted. I don't doubt that is exactly what she'd been praying for for them all along. But how is that going to happen if they go back to Moab? And how will that happen if, in the end, she commends them to go back to the gods of Moab? So why is she doing this? Note the answer in verse 8. Notice she wants them to go back to their mother's house. And when you know the ancient world, you'll know that it is the father, not the mother's house, that is mentioned. And furthermore, if you go ahead to Ruth chapter 2, verse 11, we plainly find that Ruth's father was alive when she left. So why is it called the mother's house? Well, in the ancient Near East, it was the mother who made preparations for marriage, and she also advised in matters of love. So what Naomi wants is for the women to go back and allow their mothers to play the traditional role of providing their widowed daughters with a new husband. This was Naomi's way of thinking that this is essential because widows in that day had no way of earning a living. They had no special status, no social status, so they'd have to have a male protector. It wasn't a luxury. It was always a necessity. There's no other way. She wants them to experience the covenant love of God, but unfortunately, that's just not possible given the reality of what they would suffer if they made that choice. Furthermore, Naomi is not confident that God will be good to them. Listen again what she says in verse 13. She says, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, please notice again that it's not that Naomi knows that God is sovereign. That is, he even rules over the deaths of the men in her life. She believes that God has reached out to punish her, that God no longer accepts her that God will not have grace on her. And so she reasons that if she take these two daughters-in-law back with her, no good can come of that, for they would be attaching themselves to a woman who has been rejected by God. I know that Naomi is not unique in feeling this. The awareness of her sin and of her suffering has taken away whatever confidence she may once have had in God. And because of that, she finds herself unable to care for the spiritual needs of her daughters. Who is she to tell them that they should gamble their future on the one true and living God when she is not sure that gamble will pay off? Do you remember Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7? But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Naomi could have said, You know, I've lost so much, but if this loss has brought me back to Israel and the promised people of God, as severe as my suffering has been, I have gained Christ, or I have gained the hope of the Messiah, and I have gained the people of the Messiah. But at this moment, she couldn't say that. And the great tragedy that when we cannot say that, it's very hard to counsel anyone else to say that either. 
would have been one thing for Naomi to tell Ruth and Orpah, you women must understand that if you take the journey with me to find the God of Israel, if we stick together, I can promise you only one thing. I know that God is sovereign, and I know that God is good. But if you're not prepared to go on that basis alone, you just can't go. And by the way, That's great counsel for all of us who've made the commitment that we will tell. We will tell the good news of God. Tell people as well that there is a cost of discipleship. Don't hide that from people. Make it known. It will inspire them to come. But instead of saying that, she says, God's hand is against me. So I'm so sorry. But you girls are going to have to go back to your pagan gods. And I hope we all see that what happens inside of us spiritually not only brings blessing or harm in us, it also brings blessing and harm to those we love most dearly. Now, please continue to follow this series through to the end. We're going to see that it really is possible to find God in the midst of disappointment and losses of life. And I hope we're also going to see that when we begin to trust God in the loneliest, most difficult moments that we have in life, that that assuredness of our own faith is going to translate out to people who are watching us, to our loved ones, and they too will find the God that we have come to love to be a loving God. Let's commit ourselves to doing that. John, thanks for sharing today. And you had mentioned the emphasis we have in 2015 about I will tell. And as you were talking about Naomi, it became very evident that uh, Naomi told, and she was she was a teller of the good news of God, uh, but it impacted people in different ways. It impacted Ruth different than it impacted Orpha. Yeah, I know that sometimes we can be faithful in sharing the, our faith, but when we come to a moment of crisis, sometimes what we have shared uh, ends up contradicting itself. How we approach crisis, whether we approach it in faith or in unbelief, will make a huge impact on the very people that we're trying to reach. In fact, I think that we can share the gospel for our whole lives, but when people watch us at moments of crisis, they know whether our faith is real or not. And I think that's the time to be the best in our evangelism. Uh, At least that's what I see in this story of Ruth and, and Naomi. And we've got a great opportunity for each of us to recognize that our lives do tell a story of who God is, whether it be in good times or in bad. Well, join us again tomorrow for more of Back to the Bible Canada as Dr. Neufeld continues in our study of the book of Ruth. On this journey called life, we all waver between faith and doubt, especially in those times that are fraught with fear, expectation, longing, when a lot is at stake. I hope today's message has encouraged you and that the story of Ruth is also our story. It's a story that reminds us of our humanness at its core when it comes to trusting in God and persevering in those difficult times. But he promises us that we will always find him even when our circumstances let us down. I hope you join us tomorrow with Dr. Neufeld who continues our study of Ruth as we learn about genuine conversion. We want to thank all those who have so graciously given to the launching of our partnership with Back to the Bible India. In the next few months, we're working to refurbish the audio studios in Hyderabad and are now in the midst of working together with the leadership in India to acquire the audio equipment to get up and running again. 
These are exciting days, and before you know it, everything will be in place for the Bible teaching programs being shared in India every day. So please continue to offer your prayer and financial support to reestablish this great work. Become a partner together with Back to the Bible Canada and Back to the Bible India. Call with your gift today at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or visit us online at backtothebible.ca.